Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Joining me here today is Dr. Magdi Milaj, joining me here as a chief of gynecology and gynecological surgery at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Today, we are talking about help for women with chronic gynecologic uh, conditions. And why is this important? Here's why this is important for me. Speaking as a woman, nine times out of 10, when you are confronted with yourself, and you ask yourself, have I done what I need to do to make sure that I'm getting the examinations I need to get, the checkups I need to get? Chances are the answer is going to be probably not. And there are a lot of reasons why that is. But today's show is to provide you with information, education, and to say, look, these are some of the few things you should know. And by the way, these are some of the few things you should know if you have to make uh, major decisions. And so, uh, you know, today, Dr. Malad, thank you so much for today. Um, I don't think I am an anomaly, but I will say that uh, this is one of those areas when you approach women and ask them, how are you doing in this area? You're probably going to get a wide range of answers, don't you think? No, I agree. I completely agree. Some women don't want to talk about this at all and um, and just like live with it and uh, they end up um, sort of putting up with more and more and their quality of life continues to drop and they um, they sort of leave it till things get so bad that you know, a lot of the options that we had earlier uh, are no longer available. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, let's take a look at what the state of affairs are. If you don't mind, give us an update uh, on, look, what are we looking at for women? Uh, what kind of surgeries are women getting? What are women saying yes to more and no to more? What from your perspective, what are you seeing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, so just generally speaking, hysterectomy is still the second most common procedure done uh, in the United States for women, uh, second only to C-sections, so 500,000 um, hysterectomies. Um, what's, what is good is that um, for women that need a hysterectomy, we have a lot of minimally invasive options, uh, laparoscopic through the belly button or robotic also through the belly button or vaginal hysterectomy, which is a traditional approach uh, to avoiding a big incision. Um, but it really shouldn't be sort of the go-to. Um, it, it should be sort of a last resort when all other therapies have failed. Um, and it seems like regionally, you know, if you look at different regions of the country, you'll see uh, women um, are very educated about this topic in certain uh, areas of the country and really know that hysterectomy shouldn't be like first, you know, the first thing out of the gate. Yeah. And then other places like it's the first thing, you know, they, they, they see their gynecologist. That's the first thing that's suggested, even in, even in the absence of symptoms, yeah. you know, women are being recommended as direct to me. Like, how crazy is that? Well, it is a little crazy because, you know, we, I don't think we quite understand the impact, right? And, yeah. and, and, and the complications. 
right. and right. why we go exactly. to that decision or not go to that right. decision. And I think right. that's really what this is about, right? You know, yeah. many yeah. folks are not educated about the alternatives. Right. Yep. I, I think it's both. It's exactly what you said. It's that uh, I think people don't realize. I think this, and the other third thing is, yeah, the alternatives. Exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think in some like some countries, for example, um, like uh, having a hysterectomy would be paramount to sort of no longer sort of being being able to function as a woman sort of a thing. I mean, that would be the impact, potential impact, emotional impact. In fact, we have a study right now looking at body image and alternatives to hysterectomy. You know, just how do women sort of decide about hysterectomy versus not hysterectomy? And how does that play a role into the way they see themselves as a, as a woman and as a person sort of a thing? It's a very interesting study that we're, we're just collecting data on now. And, and let's just make sure folks know, first off, that this is a very short segment, but we have a way for people to get lots more information. Can you just give folks a website for that, if you don't mind? Because I know we get talking sure. and we'll forget to do it. <laughs> no, thank you for doing that. Yeah. No, it's our Northwestern website, the MIGS, M-I-G-S dot N-M dot org. MIGS dot N-M dot org. Uh, and let's stop for a minute and talk about Northwestern, for, for if we could. Um, I've done a number of interviews and I've just been blown away uh, by where you all are with your advances and with your vision and, and really looking at the whole picture. You know, where I live on the West Coast, we call that a holistic approach. Um, yeah. And that's very confusing for people because a lot of time that means alternative medicine or natural medicine and, and it doesn't. And I want to ask you, tell us about your program in terms of where you are today why you're moving in the direction you're moving and 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 if you could just pop out for you know 12 months or or 18 months where do you see your innovations going yeah well yeah so you know different than like a traditional gynecology office like our center is a multidisciplinary approach to complex benign gynecologic conditions so mm -hmm. you can imagine like in patients that have our our senior gynecologist for routine care that's obviously very like linear sort of a thing you know pretty easy to do um, but in complex pa cases, like you really need other perspectives. And so we, we've designed a clinic so that it's sort of like one-stop shopping. So patients come in, they have all of their imaging done in advance. So we have their ultrasound, their MRI. We already know like what they've done already. We have all their records. And then in that same visit, they'll see multiple providers. They might see a physical therapist, a physical medicine doctor, an interventional radiologist, a gynecologist, an expert in vaginal surgery, you know, all in the same visit so that by the end of the uh, visit, you know, it might be a couple of hours, they have a sense of where to go next. You know, they, they and, and that may not take place in Chicago. Maybe they'll go home. You know, maybe they'll return back to wherever and just implement that plan later. But it's designed to be like a one-stop shopping as a second opinion to be able to get a sense of like, what else is there out there? And this is all we do. Like, we don't do anything. We don't do any deliveries. We don't do pap smears. We don't do breast exams. Like, all we focus in on is this one thing. You know, I want to uh, ask you to talk a little bit about some of the conditions we're, t we're, we're referencing here. Endometriosis. Let's talk about that. That is a word that, um, and, and I just want to go back for a few years because I uh, have a, a friend that I lost uh, to the cancer. Um, and, you know, I think if you go back 10 years, maybe even longer, if you said endometriosis, many people wouldn't even know what you meant. At least now people are like, oh, yeah. But let's talk about that and let's let's talk about from your perspective what it is and what should we be mindful about? Sure, sure. Yeah, so endometriosis is defined as uh, finding the cells of the lining of the uterus known as endometrium, finding those cells outside the uterus. So that's 
it's called endometriosis. And it's pretty interesting, like those cells, those menstrual cells, they go, they go back out through the fallopian tubes in almost all women. 95% of women have backwards flow when they get their period. It goes backwards mm-hmm. as well as forwards. But only about 5 or 10% of women does it, do we see endometriosis. So there seems to be some susceptibility in some women where those cells will actually absorb and, uh, and in other women where it just sits there and just implants and then grows. And so as a result of that inflammation, that's those cells that are sort of cycling and get, getting thicker and thinner, women can get cyclic pain, uh, painful periods, heavy periods, pain with intercourse, uh, pain with bowel function, bladder function, pain that's not cyclic. So pain that's sort of there the whole month long sort of a thing. Those are the typical symptoms of endometriosis. And You'd think an exam would be, you know, obviously go see somebody. Yeah. Uh, you think, you'd think, yeah. uh, you think an exam would be helpful, and some, sometimes it is. But usually we go to imaging. You know, usually imaging is a great place to start next. Ultrasound is a great place, uh, is a good start. MRI is extraordinarily helpful in endometriosis because it's not 100 percent, but like it's, you know, it's 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 80 percent, 90 percent, depending on where the disease is. Um, and then based on the symptoms and based on what the patient prioritizes, that's where that's where the critical next step is what's the next step is you know if a patient says i can live with this pain fertility is my number one issue right then we we send that patient to fertility like that patient should go to ivf because a diagnosis of endometriosis in a patient doing ivf has the same success rate as the as the best outcomes as as, as the best you know 50 percent success rate so why would we mess around with surgery and hormones when we can we can meet their goal, which is getting pregnant. Well, and you know, this is why we're doing a show like this, because I think from, from the, let me just speak from, from the female side of it. Um, one of the things that we talk a lot about, and I do a special show on this, is women's empowerment. And what that means is educating ourselves in, first of all, what are the questions that we should be asking. That's number one. And number two, having the courage to ask them. And, and, and I know it may sound odd. You know, every time I say that and I do an interview like this, it sounds a little bit odd to the people that I'm speaking with. But believe it or not, doctor, um, women are intimidated, uh, especially in front of doctors or other people of authority. Now, compound that with talking about something very personal and private. Um, we have to really help each other to say, look, ask questions, even if you think they're silly, even if you think that they're stupid, even if you think, well, wait a minute, my doctor doesn't have time. Isn't this really this particular area for women? This is where you better be asking the questions. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think it's, it's really incumbent on the provider to create a safe space for patients to be able to disclose these you know, be, be vulnerable and to be able to disclose these issues. And, you know, we've put a lot of care into designing the room so that it's, you know, the paint and the colors and the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I deliberately yeah. uh, wash my hands and shake their hand. I sit, yep. I put my chair at or below their level. Mm. Um, I, I, I have a, a big monitor so I can show their um, imaging mm-hmm. to them and their uh, partner with, uh, in the same room sort of a thing. And we put a lot of work into education up front so that they can make the decision about their own bodies themselves. I mean, they're the ones that have to live with it. It's not me that has to live with like their decision. So as long as they are well informed, they they can really serve as a partner in this treatment plan. I mean, it's uh, it's a shared decision making associated with um, with uh, with uh, these types of algorithms. It's not it's not the doctors dictating mm-hmm. what it should be done. 
Yeah. And, and just to, to remind everybody that's listening, we're talking about health for women with chronic gynecologic conditions. And hysterectomies are, are really, I think they're uh, second most common surgery for U.S. women, United States women. And when you Absolutely. hear that, you have to be shocked. You, you right. have to be a little right. shocked. And that's why I right. think we're talking about this today. Right. You know, yeah. no, there's, that, a, there's a long list of options. Yes. Really is. And like I said, yeah. And, and, and you want to really approach it like in a multidisciplinary fashion because yes. you get different perspectives. And also you don't want to, um, I mean, in you know, one way you don't want to delay a diagnosis, uh, but in another way you also don't want to um, jump to the most aggressive therapy. So again, the pa- what the patient prioritizes is the number one method to decide about the treatment options. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, too, and I know we got a minute or so left, is let's give out the website. But the other common word that gets used is fibroids. I mean, we hear fibroids. We hear them in our breast. We hear them fibroids. And it's one of those words that if you hear it, uh, one, you probably should find out what that means. But number two, it's, again, one of those other words that scares you. Um, but this is also common in women. Yeah, virtually every woman has fibroids. Yes, <laughs> you know, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, virtually like 80 to 90% of women have fibroids. So, and in most of those women, it's not bothering them, and we should not bother them. You know what I mean? Yeah. We shouldn't bother the fibroids because they're not bothering the patient. Right. Just because you have fibroids doesn't mean you should do anything about it. If it's bothering you, then first of all, you should understand what it is. So we always get imaging early on so that we know the number, the size, the location. Are they degenerating? Are they growing? So that's critical is to get the map. And then based on that map, decide like what, what's the intervention? Should it be an IUD, hormonal therapy, an embolization, MRI guided ultrasound, surgery? Like there's so many options for mm-hmm. fibroid, patients that have fibroids. There's no reason to just live with a decreased quality of life. Yeah. And boy, those options are getting better and better every day. Thank you they so really much are. for today. Please give out your website. One last question. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Dr. Malad. One last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? So the website is um, migs.nm.org, and I think um, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. I think that really is empowering. It's hard to know what questions to ask, um, and I think you'll you'll know it when you see it. You'll, when you meet mm. with a provider and they offer those options, you know it when you see it. You, uh, patients right away recognize that this is where they want to be or not. Boy, I'll tell you, that was Again, a great way to wind that up. I love that you said that. And by the way, if you're not happy with the second, go get a third. I mean, that is critical. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you all for what you do at the hospital. You guys are so innovative. I love doing these interviews. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. This is a very important interview. And by the way, I can't express enough. Go to this website please, we're actually going to put a post up on the Dr. Pacho and Transformation Talk Radio for you to click and get educated. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. I'm telling you, this is good news. Look, one of the things you know, uh, most of us, is if you grow up in a family like I grew up with, where it was very difficult to even get my dad to go to the dentist, let alone go to the doctor let alone to watch what he was putting in his body. I don't understand the conundrum around that. But I got to tell you, since my dad and where we are today, we have found out a lot more. And we are now advocates for empowering men to take charge of their health. Yes. Yes. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, this is for men too. Empowering men to take charge of their health. So today, Stacey Loeb, Dr. Stacey Loeb, Urologist at New York University is here to talk with us about why. Why is this 
an important issue here in the month of June. Now, here's what I want to say to all the men out there that we love. June is not the only month that should be about national men's health. I'm just saying, we're hoping that in June you hear something that's going to make July, August, September, and all the other months. Uh, Dr. Love, great to have you. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I know you don't believe June is the only month for men's health. <laughs> oh, definitely not. It's a year-round process. Which is a daily job, I'm just saying on my end. Um, but let's talk about this because, you know, we do a lot of shows, and especially on this network now for 15 years, around women and women's health. And we have attempted to bring the message out to men. We have started a whole new campaign around this and around men. And as a matter of fact, in our new network, believe it or not, we have a channel for women, and now we've been asked to do a channel for men. This is a new narrative. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, men's health really needs a lot of attention, um, even beginning in the 20s. Uh, you know, the most common cancer for men ages 15 to 34 is testicular cancer. So even at a very young age, men need to be aware of their risk. And if they ever feel a painless lump on the testicle to get seen for that, um, even at an early age, men should be looking out for that risk factors that might put them at risk for cancer or erection problems later in the life. Things like smoking or even vaping has been associated with risk of bladder cancer. Smoking is a major cause of erectile dysfunction. And, you know, there's really a big tie-in between urinary and sexual health with cardiovascular health. So some of the same things that affect blood vessels elsewhere in the body, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, these uh, the hardening of the arteries or the changes in the blood vessels can also lead to problems with erections. So uh, actually, erectile dysfunction is sometimes the presenting sign of cardiovascular problems and maybe a heralding thing that you see before something big like a heart attack. So very important not to overlook any of these issues. It's very important not to overlook it. And look, uh, you know, there is an expression, if you've been doing women's health as long as I've been doing it, right, based on my own healing journey, one of the things I've learned is that, yes, we can be the queens of denial, but if we are the queen, they are the king. And this show is to say, look, there is solutions now. I think part of the reasons why we don't face things in our lives is because we don't think there are possibilities. And so I want to really go to this place with you a minute because you are on the leading edge of this, of talk about how this has changed for men, right? How it's changed for them over the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, because we now have innovations, right? Uh, that are so far reaching, but we also understand more about racial disparities in cancer. So can you just give us an update on, yeah, this, that was then and this is now? Well, for sure. I think technology's come a long way. Even a lot of the issues that we deal with in men's health have been really helped out by changes in technology. Uh, in the field of urology, a lot of kidney surgeries used to be done open with a big incision, and now they're done with uh, laparoscopically or with assistance from the surgical robot. A lot of prostate cancer surgery has been uh, now is done with robotic assistance. So technology's changed a lot of the way we do surgery. 
There's also just lots of new treatments available using neat technology uh, for men who have an enlarged prostate, which can really cause some really bothersome urinary symptoms. There's all kinds of new technologies like lasers and even water vapor techniques that can be used to open back up the urinary passage that's been blocked by the prostate enlargement. Um, and, you know, and on the patient side, you know, I think uh, social media and apps have grown into really helpful platforms to get information and support as you're dealing with some of these issues, you know, connecting with other patients who are going through the same experience or using mobile health to help monitor your symptoms. You know, I got to ask you this question, if I could, Dr. Love. Look, uh, there's always a story behind the story. But before we get to that, can you at least tell folks listening how they can find out more about what we're talking about? Let's just make sure we mention this like a bunch of times today. Yes, for sure. So uh, if you want more information on any of these men's health issues, I really recommend you visit the Urology Care Foundation website. It's www.urologyhealth.org, U-R-O-L-O-G-Y health.org. They've got materials about all these conditions, uh, you know, erection issues, testosterone, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, you name it. Uh, they also have a podcast, a blog, they're on social media. So whatever format you prefer, it's a great place to get actual trusted information. There's a lot of misinformation circulating around there and uh, in the world at large, and, you know, advertisements for men's health supplements and things like that. And it's really concerning, but, you know, it is important to get information and for high quality information, the Urology Care Foundation is a trusted source. Okay, here's my question for you. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit of time. And, you know, uh, my own healing journey prompts me to get a little bit more information than I think a lot of people. Having you come on the show and be a woman doctor talking about urology, it was mind blowing and refreshing. And maybe our listeners don't know this, but I happen to know this, that this is groundbreaking for you to be in this field. And we can talk a little bit about that. But there's always a story behind this, right? There's a story behind me, independent radio hosts, all positive talk at a time where people were just shouting at each other and still are. But you, what happened? What was it where you said, I have got to go into this area of clinical research. I've got to look at prostate cancer. I have got to do this. Well, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, uh, my journey began with my grandfather who had prostate cancer and just uh, going through the prostate cancer experience with him and then his death really led to my interest in uh, studying prostate cancer. So I've been, you know, doing research on prostate cancer since he, the day of yeah. his death and, uh, you know, decided to dedicate my clinical career also to urology uh, with a focus on prostate cancer. Uh, but you're right. Uh, urology is only 8% female uh, in terms of practicing urologists at this point in time. So there are not a lot of women in the field, although it is uh, rapidly growing. So I think that that will really start to change. But, you know, hopefully more women can be advocates for men's health. I've been hosting the Men's Health Show on mm -hmm. Sirius XM since 2011. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the callers on my show are women. Yep. So it's always very interesting to have, you know, two women on the air discussing <laughs> men's health. But, you know, that 
whatever is going to bring attention to these issues and also to get these men, uh, you know, the care and attention that is needed, especially some of this below the belt stuff can be sort of sensitive topics or embarrassing, but there's no reason to feel that way, especially since things like erectile dysfunction could be linked to cardiovascular yeah. problems or even, you know, a, a future risk of a heart attack. So better to nip it in the bud and just get checked. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, we have a number of women that hold shows with us, and one of them is a C-suite executive in a technical organization. So I was fascinated when I read about you, about the hashtags that are out there, I look like an engineer, and you started a hashtag, I look like a urologist. So look, honestly for me, you could count the number of women that own broadcast networks probably on less than one hand. And so maybe I'll have to start a hashtag. But this is an important conversation. So for me, get down to the serious nature of this in the few minutes we have left. Because we are really talking about a serious situation. And you are leading the charge out here to say, hey, come on. Let's get ahead of whatever it is that may be coming. And then talk about the demographics, because the demographics are startling, I think, in this area. Yeah, I mean, I think this really is a big situation that we're dealing with. Prostate cancer, for example, is the leading cause of cancer in men in the United States and the second leading cause of cancer death. So the fact that it doesn't have any symptoms at an early stage is scary because uh, we want to find it early. So men should definitely be aware so that they can talk to their doctor about screening. But even at an earlier age, like we talked about, there's other things that you're at risk for, like testicular cancer. So, um, you know, these are big time issues. And uh, hopefully uh, we really appreciate your help in spreading the word in the men's health community. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I know what it's like to lose loved ones. Um, I also know what it's like to lose loved ones with chronic uh, heart uh, disease, which runs in my family on the men's side. Um, I want to thank you for today. And I, I, I want to ask you two questions. And, and I know you got to run off. I am startled by how difficult it is to really sit down with a male friend relative and say, honey, I love you so much. Please stop smoking. Please stop vaping. Please stop. You know, what can we say? How can we provide more information? How can we educate and inform so we can at least have one of our loved ones take good care of their health so they could be around forever? I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, um, definitely on the Urology Care Foundation website, there's a lot of information about smoking and urology health. So there's a whole infographic discussing all of the different uh, urological issues that are affected by smoking. So you can definitely look at urologyhealth.org for more info there. Um, sometimes it's the erectile dysfunction that gets people's yeah. attention. You know, yeah. um, a lot of a lot of men know that smoking is associated with lung cancer. Not as many people know about bladder cancer, which is you know can be very morbid and quite a deadly cancer. And smoking is the number one risk factor. But you know, if the cancer risk is not enough, uh, the risk of erectile dysfunction it just it causes changes in the blood vessels, and so it's a major major contributor to erectile dysfunction. Wow. I want to thank you so much for today. I can't thank you enough for getting out there. Two things. Please give out the website again. And then I want to ask you your personal message. What would you like to leave us all with today? And thank you, Dr. Loeb, for everything you're doing here. 
Thank you so much. The website is Urology Care Foundation at www.urologyhealth.org. And my personal advice is that men need to take charge of their health beginning from the 20s on all through their adult life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And yeah, let's march on everybody. And remember, get that website down, urologyhealth.org. Go ahead, urologyhealth.org. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, welcome to our good news segment. Listen, it is that time. It's time for your mid-year financial checkup. Okay, wipe the sweat off your brow. Help is on the way. Personal finance expert shares these amazing tips to, to really take a look at, look, where are you? Where do you want to go? And how do you get there? That's why Laura Adams is joining us here today, because you know what? This is what she does. She's a personal finance expert. And you know, doing that mid-year check is going to make you sleep better at night. Laura, great to have you. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Listen, what got you going in this business? What is it about this line of work for you that uh, tapped you on the, on the shoulder and said, yep, this is my calling? I really love helping people understand complex financial topics. If you don't understand finances, you're not going to be able to implement it in your life very well. So my mission is to help people understand a variety of financial issues and actually get the motivation, take the initiative to put some small changes in place that are going to make a big difference over the long term. Now, look, you are the author of many books. Uh, Money Girl, Smart Moves to Grow Rich. You have been on just about every network that I can um, uh, pr probably mention uh, uh, during this, uh, this short interview. Uh, but more importantly, this is a passion for you. This is something where you stay on top of what's going on in the world, and you also present things that will help people get absolutely comfortable and excited about their financial well-being. Let's talk about why a mid-year financial checkup is important, because most people don't even think about that. It's true. Uh, we do think about money after the new year, right? Money and yeah. fitness are two things we try to have. But we often don't follow all of those resolutions that we set back in January. So the mid-year is the perfect time to kind of correct course, look at where we are, reevaluate, and, you know, continue to work and, and maybe make some goals to, to correct uh, some mistakes that you might have made between now and January, correct that and get on a better path so that by the end of the year in December, you are sitting pretty and you are not stressed or anxious about your finances. Let, let's, let's talk about the state of affairs. Where are we right now? And look, you live and breathe this. And I, I, I know that there are so many things that are important for people right now, whether you're parents that have children you're trying to put through college, whether it's healthcare, whether it's just meeting your bills from week to week, or let's say that it's you and you want to save some money for a, a vacation or maybe to start your business. Give us your checklist on state of affairs. What should people be aware of and what are some of the more common, let's call them mid-course corrections that people should be making? Yeah, so thinking about this from a, a big kind of top level, um, according to a recent study by employee benefits company Unum, nearly half of adults have less than $1,000 in savings. That's not enough. And about the same amount say they can only pay bills for two months or less 
if they lose their main source of income. So because of that shocking statistic, I'm going to recommend that people look at your emergency savings first. You've just got to have some money set aside. That's how you will survive something unexpected. It could be a job loss. It could be losing business income, um, you know, other types of unexpected things. We all know that they happen. You know, life happens. So if you can build a cash reserve, that will help you ease financial anxiety and just slowly increasing that savings rate over time will make sure that you've got a really nice financial cushion there that's going to, you know, keep you afloat in a hardship. Yeah, and actually, you mentioned Unum. I think we should give out the website because Unum also provides a number of different articles that I know that I'm familiar with, especially about um, my area of research, which is workplace mental health. And so why don't you give out the website here? Because I know we get so excited about these things and we fight. We forget to tell people how they can find out more. Yes, definitely visit unum.com slash workwell. It's unum.com slash workwell. There's so much information there, as you mentioned. I mean, we do research, there are reports, and a lot of tips to help manage employee benefits properly, tips just for managing finances wisely in general. So there's just a wealth of, of information there. Yeah, uh, you know, part of this, and this is what I hear from our listeners, we have different levels of, of people here in, in the United States now. We have the group of people that went through 2006, 7, 8, who basically pretty much wiped out their savings. Then we have new generations of people coming forward, whether whatever millennium, Gen Z, X, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, who saw that happen. And so do you think that that economic situation, do you think that provided people with a new level of awareness to do better planning or the reason for doing this show is because we just don't quite get it yet? Yeah, I do think you have a little bit of both. Um, there are a lot of new graduates out there that are going to feel a bit of a learning curve when it comes to dealing with employee benefits. It can be, you know, co complicated and a little scary, frankly, when you're kind of handed all of these choices. So, you know, for a lot of young folks, they are, uh, they're on board. They're saving. They, they're all about retirement benefits, but they may not know about some of the other types of coverages that are available to help them, namely disability insurance. This is a yeah. fantastic policy. Oh. It's going to, oh. yeah, it's going to replace 60% of your income if you can can't work due to a covered accident or illness. And, you know, it, we're talking about not being able to survive more than a couple months. I mean, what would you do if you could not earn income for six months or 12 months due to some type of a disability? And, and that could be cancer, heart disease, back injuries, joint disorders. These are common claims for long-term disability policies. So having that policy is going to keep you safe if you're in a, you know, a difficult situation. Yeah, I think there's a whole new career path for you and others when we're thinking about how to prepare for your job interview. What are the new questions one should ask about employment benefits that perhaps are not even the traditional? You know, this is, this is an interesting conversation now. We have an economy that is picked up and people are in jobs and job positions and they're interviewing. But this mid-year checkup should be what do I even know about these benefits? What do I even know? I mean, perhaps student loans is something my, employ my employer may, may pay off, right? Um, let's yes. go through and talk about some of this. And also, you know, here we are, people are getting married, they're coming together, don't even know the questions, Laura. We don't even know the questions to ask, right? 
That's so true. So it is all about being willing to learn, uh, not being afraid to say, I don't know or I don't understand what's going on and, and getting help. Um, so, yes, if you're moving in, think about how you are going to create financial goals together as a couple. How are you going to manage living expenses, bills, and all of that? My big tip is that if you're not sure that you're going to be together for the long term, avoid mingling your money and mingling your assets. It can be difficult to untangle all of that if you don't stay together. But if you do get married or you do make a commitment, think about life insurance. That's a great way to make sure that, let's say, a stay-at-home spouse or even dependents are going to be okay if you are no longer around. And, and quite frankly, life insurance can be very affordable. So ask about that at work uh, for sure in addition to disability insurance. You know, I, I want to ask you a couple things because the questions change from year to year, generation to generation. I, I would like to really ask you if you could run through your list, if you were sitting in front uh, of people that are thinking, I don't know that I can even think about my finances. I'd love to know what your top three things would be that you would say to them. Because I think one of the hardest parts that I run into in the work I do outside of radio, and probably you're familiar with, is becoming the queen of denial when it comes to facing our finances. Queen or king, I should say. Yes. So the first thing I would say is it's better to start earlier rather than later. Even if you can only save small amounts of money, that is going to serve you better over the long run. So don't think, oh, well, I can only save you know $20 a month, so I'm just not going to do it. Starting small is okay, and in fact, it's going to serve you much better in the long run. Um, so that's that's definitely one tip. Start earlier, and I would say look at insurance, as we've been talking about. In a lot of cases, it's inexpensive, and it's going to give you a lot of peace of mind. And, you know, I would also say that you do have to think about having fun, you know, taking a break occasionally, oh, too. Yeah. It's not all about work, work, work. If you have unused vacation days, take them. Too many Americans end the year with unused vacation days. We need to recharge, take that time off, and enjoy those days that you've accrued. You know, you and I could do a whole show on that because my area that I work with is a whole new area of, uh, you know, mental fitness in the workplace. But one of the things for sure that you're talking about is it, we have this all or nothing mentality sometimes. And, you know, I got to tell you, I'm probably older than you and I come from a little bit old school, but my mom and my grandmom always had a jar on the kitchen counter and they would drop coins and dollars in. And I got to tell you, I picked that up at a young age and I can't tell you the things I bought with it. Washers, dryers, refrigerators. You have no idea. And sometimes people say, oh, Pat, and I know you're a financial person, so you're thinking, oh, my God, please don't tell people to do that. Tell them to put it in the bank. But sometimes it's just hard to get started. We just need folks to get started, right? That's it. The motivation, and, and once you've got, let's say, a savings account set up, you can make it easy. I love to, to recommend automation. Have your payroll department split a portion of your paycheck so that a little bit goes to savings each month. You can have multiple accounts, and that way you're saving kind of in the background, and you don't have to worry about it or think about it. You probably won't even miss the money. I love that idea. I didn't know that. That is awesome. Okay, I got to ask you this question. I know we're running out of time. Um, I got to ask you this last question. One of the things that happens to people, and now I'm going to jump around to an older generation. One of the things that happens is people think, man, I've lost it all. Why should I now think about insurance? Look, even if you are at an age where you don't think 
that you can afford insurance, holy cow, that is one of the best things to look at, isn't it? It really is. It's going to give you peace of mind, and it's really going to protect the people that you love as well. So an inexpensive life insurance policy is something that can give not only you peace of mind, but the people in your life to let them know, hey, this is going to be there for you if I'm no longer around. I mean, that's just an incredible uh, way to have security. So don't overlook those policies. They may cost a lot less than you think. Yeah. Laura, look, thank you for today. Would you please uh, give people that website again? And then I got one last question. I'd like to know your personal message. I'd like to know what you'd like to leave us with today. Thank you. Visit unum.com slash workwell, unum.com slash workwell. And, you know, I would just say mid-year is a great time to reconsider if what you have going on financially and with your benefits are really serving you. So think about the choices that you can make this year that we're going to, that are going to protect your finances and your family in the future. And it's all about making good decisions and just getting started slowly. And for those of you that are wondering who is Laura Adams, what I want to say is go ahead and check out lauradadams.com because I know when we're talking about money, you want to see who the heck is talking about the money. Laura, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's been great to be with you. Okay, so the bottom line for me, for all of you out there, please do something today. Please, please hear whatever you heard right here today. Pick one thing at a time if that's all you can do. But please, I encourage you, please do something about this mid-year checkup. Okay, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Called the Oprah of radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basile is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit thedrpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-Patshow.com for listening times in your area. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our fabulous good news segment. And this is good news. Uh, Recently, you heard me speak of a friend of mine that I play table tennis with who was recently diagnosed with kidney disease, almost as if it was out of the blue. And then the journey begins. But what are we to make of this? Where are we with the advances that are helping doctors empower patients that have kidney disease? What can we know What can we share? And what are the advances in home dialysis care? What? Did I just say that? Dr. Martin Schreiber joining me here today, Chief Medical Officer, Home Modalities, DaVita Kidney Care. And look, did I just say, Dr. Schreiber, home dialysis care? That's correct, Dr. Pat, home dialysis. And it really is a transformational time in dialysis management, allowing patients to care for their disease in the home setting. Well, I got to tell you, it almost sounds like science fiction because um, I will say this, that not not too long ago, um, you know, we were part of a care group for my friend of mine's mom who uh, had to step out of the home for dialysis. How did we get this far in advance? First, let me just ask this question. Is this in response to the increasing number of people uh, in the United States with kidney disease? Tell us about the motivation for this great innovation. Yes, uh, thank you. I believe that, um, you know, 
organizations like DeVita have been really committed to home for decades. Uh, and they do lead uh, in the home dialysis arena and their ability to provide patients the opportunity to manage their kidney disease in the home. It, it really came about through commitment of corporations like DeVita, commitment or really desire of the public. And what's fascinating now is that the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, is really committed to home dialysis and the fact that he had a family member who was on uh, peritoneal dialysis, which is home dialysis. And he also views the fact that home dialysis is less costly than having patients go to a dialysis center. So he also is interested in not only improving the outcome of patients that have a need for dialysis, but also it helps manage the Medicare budget. So government and payers are also getting involved. And then you have physician organizations which are championing home also. And if you were to ask physicians, Dr. Pat, what modality would you want if you needed dialysis and could not get a kidney transplant, do you know that 94% of physicians would want to manage their kidney disease in the home? Yeah, and it absolutely makes sense, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, anybody that has ever taken this journey with another person understands uh, how emotional it is. Uh, and by the way, people that do get treatment outside of the home, the, the people, the practitioners, the nurses, the people in that IV, they're fantastic. So this is not about that. This is really about having a disease where you are managing not just the disease, but your emotional well-being, your quality of life. Isn't that what we're talking about, too? Absolutely. And imagine if you had kidney disease, and God forbid, but let's say that you had kidney disease and you were thinking about the best option for you. There's nothing like managing the disease in the home. I mean, you feel so comfortable being in your own home surrounding. Uh, the quality of life you're able to achieve is higher. And you're managing it. It's not like you're abdicating all your care to somebody outside of the home that you need to travel to three times a week. Um, you really have the ability, in my mind, to manage the disease in the home. And it adds so much to your quality of life. Well, look, here we are today. Let's get everybody uh, up to speed. One of the things I was a little bit shocked by is the age range, because I think we have an idea that the group of people we're talking about are basically seniors, but this is a larger uh, age range. And I would love to ask you, regardless of age, but including age, how advanced has home dialysis gotten? Give us, give us an idea of what is available now. Yes. So if one looks at the percent of people managing their disease at home, it's only about 12 to 13 percent. However, if you look at where we're headed, DeVita's made a commitment that 25 percent of patients will be the target for achieving home dialysis by 2025. If you talk to CMS or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, mm. they look at 50% of patients being able to manage their disease in the home. So there is significant focus on the part of CMS, CMMI, payers, dialysis corporations. What can we do to make this happen? What can we do to make this transformational change? And we believe that technology 
And the application of technology can go a long way in making patients feel more comfortable and confident that I can do this. I can manage my disease in the home, and I can manage it, and I know it's going to give me a better quality of life. That's our goal. And so we're committed to what's possible. And I think we all in science have to look at what are the possibilities and how do we harness those to make it happen at the patient level. You know, one of the biggest concerns about home care across the board, not not with kidney disease, but across the board, one of the greatest concerns that I think physicians have, and rightly so, is how do we know that what the patient is doing is good, is correct? You know, are they doing it right? Are they doing it when they should do it? Can you tell us about these advances or advancements rather that allow for you know, the latest in technology in monitoring and, by the way, support. Because there's nothing, I, I think there's nothing really uh, harder to hear, right, than somebody attempting to treat themselves and not be able to. So what kind of monitoring, support, analysis, what are you all doing at DeVita? Yes. So I think it starts with training. Mm -hmm. And so we have what I believe is one of the best patient training programs in the U.S. in getting patients able to care for themselves in the home. Once they get in the home, then we have a specific platform called Home Dialysis Connect, which is composed of two different components. One is home remote monitoring, where we measure blood pressure, weight, temperature on a daily basis. We have patients utilize iPads to answer questions that we believe can proactively identify if they're having problems with their management in the home. And that's one aspect of care, that increased connectivity where on a daily basis we have a a feeling of what's happening in the home surrounding. And then the opportunity in DaVita Care Connect, it's a virtual telehealth platform where we can schedule visits with physicians, we can we can provide educational information to patients, we can do video visits. So just think, you're scheduled for a doctor visit and patients on home dialysis have to see their physician once a month. What if you could do two out of three quarterly visits virtually, where you wouldn't have to get in the car. You wouldn't have to ask somebody to take you. And so we can interact. The physician can interact with the patient. And the the government passed the legislation last year in the telehealth bill that allows physicians to do virtual visits, two out of three visits per quarter. And nurses can contact the patient. Instead of just talking to a patient over the phone, visually you can see them. And there's some humanness to making that connection by video that you can't achieve by the phone. And so patients feel less isolated. And we monitor the quality quite closely. Every dialysis, home dialysis program, and there's 1,700 that we have in the U.S., they know what their quality is like. We send them reports every month that details how every single patient is doing, how they're doing as a unit, and how they compare with other centers within the United States that DaVita has. So quality really is number one, you know, as far as it goes in providing care to patients in the home. Well, uh, before we get too far ahead, I want to make sure people have a way to find out information. I think this is really important for people to check out, you know, uh, what we're talking about in more detail. What's the best way? What's a website that folks can go to? The website is davita.com, Dr. Pat. So it's D-A-V-I-T-A 
Com. And there is a wealth of information on there from diet, insurance coverage, how do I get a transplant, how do I know what modality is best for me. So not only should patients visit the site, family members of patients that have kidney disease should visit the site to learn more because kidney disease doesn't just affect the patient. It affects the entire family. Oh, it does. And that's why what we're talking about today is so very, very important. I mean, we're talking about an innovative way to provide quality care for people that really need it. I want to take a minute. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but many people don't really understand uh, the origins of kidney disease, so to speak. I mean, we have an idea probably from watching way too many shows that uh, on doctor shows on television about it, right, <laughs> Dr. Schreiber? I mean, so one of the things yeah, I want to make exactly sure, right. I know, right? Like, it's not really like that. But, but where, where are we? Where are we with kidney disease? Are, are, is there now younger people getting it? Where is this coming from? What is the source or origin yeah. of kidney disease? Well, as, as you know, kidney disease is across the continuum of life. You know, we have the largest number of pediatric patients that need dialysis in the U.S., and we provide quality care for them. But it's, it can start in uh, when you're a child from a congenital abnormality. As you age, though, the most common causes are diabetes that's uncontrolled and uncontrolled hypertension. And that account, those two reasons alone account for almost two-thirds of chronic kidney disease in the United States. And there are other causes that are genetically determined, like polycystic kidney disease. Some infections cause it. Some medications cause it. Some immunologic diseases, like lupus, can lead to kidney failure in certain patients. So a number of different etiologies or causes, and it spans, uh, you know, all age groups. Mm. Well, I think that for many folks, there's also... Uh, important things they should know. Are there symptoms slash signs? Because sometimes what happens, you, you know, you kind of ignore things, right? I mean, we're really good about yeah. denying things that are going on in our body. We're like, okay, next. But are there things people should be on the lookout for? Yes, yes, there are. Sometimes um, fatigue can be due to chronic kidney injury. Um, sometimes if you have anorexia or upset stomach or lose your appetite, develop swelling, develop a rash. Uh, you need to really talk to your primary care physician or your diabetologist or specialist. And kidney disease can be diagnosed simply by a blood test or a urinalysis. It doesn't take, you know, very sophisticated testing to identify patients that have the disease. And the earlier you know you have the disease, the more proactive you can be in preventing progression. Well, Dr. Shriver, one last thing. Please give us the website, and I have one last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? I, I, want, to, I want to leave people with the message that as a patient, you should be at the center of your care. You should be as proactive as possible, and you should really feel comfortable that advancements are taking place, which allow you to manage the disease in the home. Our website, which I think is great for patients and family, is davita.com. D-A-V-I-T-A dot com. All right. This is, thank you, Dr. Martin Shriver, everybody, Chief Medical Officer, Home Modalities, DaVita Kidney Care. Thank you for doing all that you do, Dr. Shriver. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Pat, for having me on this morning. You betcha. Let's take a short break, everyone. Please pass this on. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. 